This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Leslie Herhold, the author of Self-Confidence Strategies for Women, Essential Tools to Increase Self-Esteem and Achieve Your True Potential. With so much uncertainty in the world, learning to love yourself and march out of your comfort zone can feel daunting. Leslie's work on self-confidence strategies for women offers simple tools based on proven therapy principles to help you achieve greater confidence, stronger relationships, increased motivation, and a more positive outlook on life. Learn how your thoughts and behavior influence your self-esteem and find expert advice for changing negative patterns. You'll practice identifying your strengths and values, quieting doubt, and approaching intimidating situations with conviction. Increase your confidence in yourself and your abilities with easy and effective exercises that you can apply to everything you do. Leslie T. Herhold, MSW, LCSW, PMHC is an author and therapist specializing in women's mental health. Originally from South Louisiana, she now resides in South Alabama and has a clinical practice in Fairhope. Her first book, Self-Confidence Strategies for Women, is now available for purchase at various online retailers. Meet Leslie at LeslieTHerholdLCSW.com and follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Leslie T. Herhold LCSW. Here is the interview with Leslie Herhold. In your own words, who is Leslie Terriel Harold? So I like to think of myself as a woman first. I am also a therapist, a mother, a wife, a daughter, and now I am an author. I can add author to that list. But in my years of as a therapist and also as a social worker, all I've ever done is work with women and specifically with women during their childbearing years. So first I was in the hospital setting for women who were either pregnant, postpartum, struggling with pregnancy loss, infertility, babies in NICU, adoption plans, postpartum depression. So when I left the hospital setting, and went to private practice, it was kind of a no-brainer to me that that is what I wanted to specialize in. That's what I do. The only, all of my clients are women and they are, not all of them are mothers, 
but they're all women at different phases of their life and struggling with different transitions, whether it's early adulthood or motherhood, trying to become mothers or um, relationship issues and so forth. Sounds like a wonderful work. Thank you. It is. It is. I love it. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, self-confidence strategies for women, essential tools to increase self-esteem and achieve your true potential, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record. Okay. So the first one had to be this one. What is (laughs) self-confidence to you? Self-confidence to me... I believe is giving yourself the permission to be who you are, the permission to make mistakes, the grace to learn from those mistakes, to keep expectations reasonable, to be unapologetic about putting your needs first, not as a detriment to others, but just, I think so many of us feel that in order to be happy, we have to make sure everyone around us is happy. And we have to take care of everyone around us. And I think so many of us have been conditioned to feel like it's selfish to put our needs first or to put our needs right up there with um, our other priorities. But self-confidence to me is that it is giving yourself that permission to be exactly who you are and exactly who you were meant to be. Sounds very spiritual to me. (laughs) I think so. I think so. I love that. Thank you. So what does it mean to be a woman, Leslie? So that is a very heavy question. <laughs> there, <laughs> because there, because being a woman, it, it has, I believe it has changed over time. And I believe that so many of us grew up with certain beliefs about what it means to be a woman um, and where we've had to put some women have felt like they had to put themselves into certain boxes or into certain categories to be able to fit that mold. But I think being a woman, I think women are just amazing creatures. We are capable of multitasking. We are capable of giving life. We are capable of just so many, so many amazing things. And I think also being a woman is giving yourself that grace and feeling like you can do whatever it is that you want to do with your life and that you are capable of it. And whether you choose to be a a mother or you choose to be an executive or you choose to be an artist or you choose to, I mean, the possibilities are endless, right? Yes, I love that answer. Yeah. What do you love the most about being a woman? What do I love most about being a woman? I think the ability to be a mother is what I love most about being a woman. I believe that regardless of how many women in the world had a baby either through adoption or um, more natural means or even the fertility treatments and things like that, I think that no matter how it happens, And no matter how many times it has happened across the universe or across the world, when it happens to you, it feels like such a miracle. It feels like the most incredible thing. So yes, I think that's for me personally, and I know that not every woman 
will look at it that way. You know, some women, like I said, choose to not become mothers. But for me, that is the most, that is what I love the most about being a woman. That sounds wonderful. I'm wondering if women like me who chose not to be a mother, can we still exercise that nurturing side? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's in all of us. I mean, that's in men also. It's not just right. a, a female thing, but I do think that as women, we have a different intuition about things and we are able to sense the need for nurturing that maybe men aren't able to see sometimes. So yes, absolutely. Women who are by choice or not by choice, not mothers can still be mothers in a different sense because to nurture is to mother, to care for is to mother, to bring life in other ways, whether it's through the work that you do, which that is bringing life for sure to so many people I know, or if it's through paintings or plants, you know, growing gardens. There's so many different ways to give life and to nurture. My other question about women is, what is the most challenging aspect about being a woman? I think the most challenging aspect about being a woman is making sure that, again, that we don't sink into those ideas of what other people say we should be as a woman. So if we choose to be a nurturing person, if we choose to be athletic, if we choose to be a businesswoman, if we choose to open up our own business and be entrepreneurs to not allow society's view of what it means to be a mother or a woman or a daughter or a sister um, to kind of hold us into that, into that mold. Oh, I love that too. Love your answers and your wisdom. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so my next question, warm-up question is about freedom. What does it mean to be free in your opinion? I think freedom is being able to be and to be exactly who you are, unapologetic about your needs, your wants, your desires, your choices. Um, I think that's freedom right there. And once once you have that and once you feel that within yourself, it is so impossible mm -hmm. to let it go or to be anything different, you know, once you feel that for yourself. Yes, true. What do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? I think our greatest need right now is compassion, self-compassion, compassion for ourselves, because this is hard. This is so hard everything that's going on in the world right now. It's what all of us are making the best choices, I feel, the best choices we can make for ourselves. And it's okay. I think self-compassion is important and then turning that compassion back outward to others and recognizing that we are all humans. We are all doing the best we can. We are all struggling in some ways. We are all flourishing in other ways. We are all just, like I said, doing the very best that we can. But I think compassion is the key to all of this. That makes me think about self-love or unconditional self-love. Do you connect self-compassion to unconditional self-love? Yes, absolutely, I do. That's great to know. <laughs> That's yeah. an amazing practice, I feel. But it's a practice, isn't it, Leslie? Yes, 
actually is a practice. It takes work. It takes practice. It's rewarding, but it is so worth it once you get there. But it is a work in progress for all of us. Right. So true. What is your idea and understanding of inner peace? My idea of inner peace is giving myself and, you know, and for all, all people to be able to give themselves the grace to be able to be exactly who you are, to say, I'm doing the best I can right now and that's okay, to validate feelings as you have them, not trying to push them away so quickly, if that makes sense, saying, I'm feeling this way right now and it's okay. And then moving on, you know, trying to do something that helps you to feel better. But inner peace is definitely accepting ourselves exactly as we are, recognizing the things that we can change about ourselves, but then recognizing those things that we can't. I have a question for you later on, but because you mentioned the word feeling or feelings, let me ask you now, do you see any difference between feelings and emotions? You know, that's a really, really good question, actually. I think that they are so intertwined and so interconnected that it is hard to tell them apart. It is a challenge, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And we know that the thought, I mean, that's what we're going to be speaking about. I know that our thoughts influence how we feel and then the emotions that we then express but those feelings and those emotions are so are so connected and so those boundaries are so enmeshed <laughs> sometimes but i guess there is a difference you know in that you feel a certain way but usually the expression of it is more of the emotion that other people are able to pick up on so that's an interesting way that you just uh, explained that so emotions like the expression of the feelings so that's why we don't need to act upon feelings all the time because exactly. they might not be true based on beliefs, right? Whatever might be false beliefs we're holding. Right. For now, my last warm-up question is, what, where, and who is God to you? I am a very spiritual person. I was raised religious. I was raised in the Catholic faith. So I do have some of those beliefs that I still hold true to my heart, but I believe that God is within us and all around us. And I believe that we are able to be, um, to have our own relationships with God separate from any institution. I think that just if it's, he's, he, I, I say he, even though I am very feminist, I still call God he for some reason, which is interesting. I should probably explore that a little bit more. But I feel that God is within all of us and around us, and we are all able to have our own relationship however we see fit. And for me, I call him God, but I know other people will have different words to describe him, and it means all the same thing. It means this higher power, something, you know, either universal intelligence or something in nature, or well, I think we all just have our own personal relationship and our own personal definition of what that means. And it's okay. That's it's true. okay for all of us to feel differently, you know, because we, it's such a personal, such a personal thing, such a personal relationship. It is, uh, Leslie. Do you somewhat relate God to unconditional love? I do. That's an, an interesting thing when you think about it, the things that we learn. You call God 
he or him. But then when it comes to unconditional love, we wouldn't say that. There's no gender. It would be it. There's no gender. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, you are right. I mean, that was just a little light bulb moment that I had just in the last 30 seconds here. Like, <laughs> But we'll talk about this in a moment because this is a topic that it's a very interesting one. Fascinating to me because I know how much, like we talked before recording, uh, thoughts influence and their thoughts uh, influence um, our lives and thoughts are connected to beliefs. So we need to keep them in check almost yes. all the time. What a journey, what a work, <laughs> what a journey yes, of hard work, work. <laughs> but fun, right? Because this is what life is about, it seems to me. This, I think uh, so. I think so too. Adventure of uh, self-discovery. Let's talk about your work. And my first question also had to be this one. How did you become a writer? <laughs> I've always been a reader. I've always loved books. I learned how to read at a very young age. I have just always loved for read, loved to read and mostly for entertainment purposes. I mean, I feel that reading is a good distraction sometimes and it's a good escape and it's a good, um, it's just so good. <laughs> I love, I like self-help books, but I also like what I refer to as fluffy books. You know, um, just books that don't require a whole lot of thought where you can dive in and just immerse yourself into a different world or a different time or a different way of living or a different way of thinking. So I think I always wanted, this was like a bucket list item for me to write a book one day and the opportunity came up. And as you know, I work with women, all that's all I, all I do, so um, it was really just a perfect fit for me, this idea. And it I loved every single second of it. And I, I have another one in mind to work on later on this year. And I am so excited to begin. What was the intention of writing your book, Self-Confidence Strategies for Women, Leslie? It was to give women who may not know about this information. Because I think for me, it's been there through my training, through my work with women, through just some of my own life experiences. And I think whenever it's so natural, it becomes kind of natural to you whenever this is what you do all the time. And through my work, I'm recognizing not everybody knows these things. Not everyone, people respond so well to have it kind of laid out for them like that. And whenever this book opportunity came up to be able to give women's strategies, not just talking to them about, you know, my own experiences or what the research says or what I learned in textbooks or what I learned from my, from my um, actual work with women, but to give them strategies, like step-by-step instructions and have each chapter build upon the previous one. That was my intent to be able to share this information. And in, in the hopes that even if one woman reads this and it changes her mindset and helps her to love herself more and to come to a place of acceptance of who she is, then that's worth it to me. What a wonderful intention. Yes, beautiful. And you have done a wonderful job at it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm very proud of it, I must say. Um, it was a labor of love for sure. Yeah. And it feels like, it sounds like, it reads like it. 
And I know we are focusing on one chapter, but it might be enough for the conversation today, but you have so many other interesting topics there related to self-confidence and strategies for us women. (laughs) So um, let me ask you one more question before we dive in beliefs and negative thoughts and all that topic. Why did you choose to become a therapist specializing in women's mental health? Yeah, when did you make that choice? So I have been in practice as a social worker since 2006. And starting from there, actually the year before that, my internship was at a local hospital that only deals with women and children. So from, you know, NICU, pediatrics, uh, postpartum, that's all I was exposed to. And I was in my early 20s at the time and just becoming, I guess, who I was meant to be as a woman. <laughs> you know that how that journey that takes place all throughout your 20s. Um, at least that was how it was for me. So I was there at such a very important time in my life. Like I said, all through my 20s, I was at this hospital and working with women. And then after a period of time, I realized that I had a, not as many options for um, aftercare. So I was sending these women back out, you know, having their baby and then two days later or having a miscarriage and then a couple of days later being sent home just without a safety net, so to speak. And after a while, it was like I don't have anybody that specializes in postpartum depression, in perinatal mental health, in pregnancy loss, in fertility, um, the grief that goes along with fertility uh, fertility and pregnancy loss. And after a while, I thought, well, why not me? (laughs) Why couldn't I do that? So it's been two years and it was the best choice that I've ever made for myself, both professionally and personally, I will say. You put yourself in that position. That's beautiful. Yeah. And it has turned into, like I said before, women at different transition, at different points of transition in their lives. So I am specialized in perinatal mental health, but it's more about women's mental health, really, because I have lots of clients who aren't mothers and I have lots of clients who are mothers, but that's not why they're necessarily seeking treatment or seeking counseling. And speaking of mental health, which is so important. Yes, it is. And that's interesting how you connect that to self-confidence, right? Self-esteem and negative thoughts, beliefs, not that. Oh, that's the root of everything. Yes, so it is. So talk to me about negative thoughts and how they affect our self-confidence. So that is, again, another very intertwined relationship that takes time to separate one from the other. And then it's like, what, you know, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. What happens first? Am I anxious because I'm having these negative thoughts? Do I have a low self-esteem because of the negative thoughts? Or am I having the negative thoughts because I have a low self-esteem? You know, it all, it's, it, they form, it forms these circular patterns almost. And until you're able to interrupt it, it just continues on and on. And then it becomes pervasive where it affects every other aspect of your life, not just how you feel about yourself, but then how you feel about the outside world, how you, how you interact with your friends, with your family members, with your children, with your employers, with, you know, everyone in the world around you. Starting with those, the negative self-talk, 
or the negative self-statements, those are oftentimes learned and developed in early childhood. And as we grow, they change, of course, but it is so influenced by the world around us and by our upbringing and about our peers and coaches and teachers and the media. And we, we get so much input from the outside world. And so a lot of times that becomes ingrained in our in our heads and it plays out um, like this reel almost over and over again, like a recording almost saying the same thing over and over. And once you're able to acknowledge, okay, so this is the thought that I'm having. What, where is this coming from? Why am I feeling this way? What am I telling myself about this situation? Most of us aren't walking around paying such close attention to our thoughts. We're just feeling our feelings and putting it out there into the world. We're not sitting there thinking, why am I thinking this right now? But the the wonderful thing about this is that once you start paying attention, you can't not notice the influence that your thoughts are having on your feelings. And that is the practice itself, right, Leslie, to become self-aware. aware of our thoughts. Do you think it's possible to be aware of our thoughts all the time? (laughs) Probably not, because I do think it takes a whole lot of brain power. And maybe it wouldn't be healthy to sit there and be (laughs) thinking, you know, having that much, all those thoughts and and thinking about them and having all that inward, that inward um, attention you know, we need, we still need to be able to interact with the world and with the people around us. But so that's why I usually recommend for my clients. And I say this in the book too: pay attention. If you feel a negative feeling, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling irritable, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling resentful, that's a big one. If you're feeling any of those negative feelings, then take a pause and think to yourself, okay, where is this coming from? What am I telling myself right now? What's the inner monologue here? And usually it does take practice, but after a period of time, once you're able to acknowledge and recognize what the thought is that's causing the feeling, you can change it, switch it around, turn it into something that's more true and more helpful. And that in turn helps with the feeling. That makes so much sense. So it's paying attention to the negative feelings and then analyzing, identifying the thoughts of the thought patterns. Yeah, that's a great way of changing lives, isn't it? (laughs) Everything will change. So I'm wondering if all negative thoughts are connected to negative beliefs or false beliefs. So... It depends on, do you mean negative thoughts about yourself? Mm, Good question. Or negative thoughts in general? You know, because I do think that there are times, there are times whenever negative thoughts are warranted, there are bad things that happen in the world and there are things that we cannot control. And a lot of times negative thoughts are warranted given the situation. I don't want to dismiss any negative thoughts, because that would be taking away from, I think, our normal, healthy way of looking at the world, because it's not all sunshine and rainbows all the time, of course. So my negative, the negative thoughts that I speak of in here are more about 
the negative thoughts that we turn inward, that the negative thoughts about ourselves, about our responsibilities, um, negative thoughts that we have about our physical state, like our appearance, our capabilities, um, about what other people are thinking about us. So let me rephrase that question then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you made a very good point. That's true. There are different sources, right, for these thoughts. So in some of them, uh, we can say there's a justification for them. When it comes to ourselves, so are all these negative thoughts about our own selves, are they connected to negative beliefs and false beliefs? Yes, I believe so. And if, they're, if they are connected to things that are true, like I said before, but things that are still outside of our control. So let I have in, in the book, I did, I had an example in there somewhere about a woman feeling like she didn't like her nose. She thought her nose was too big. So that's a negative thought, but that's something that she can't control. So it's about flipping it around into something that's more positive where she said, my nose is from my grandmother, whom I love more than anything and I adore. So changing it into something that's positive, even though it, it, um, it that doesn't take away necessarily from the fact that she feels that she has a big nose. But if she can look at it in a different way, with a different perspective and still love herself through it and accept it, then that's a positive thing, in my opinion. Yeah, and I agree. How did this happen? <laughs> All these negative thoughts we have about ourselves. I know you list like lots of them, the nature and the source for these thoughts. Uh, one of them learned in childhood. That's yes, uh, a very that's big, a big one. one. Right. That's a big, big one. Yes. Yeah. So talk to me about some of them, if you don't want to go through all of them. But this is an interesting one to me. And the other one you said was uh, how others view us. That's another nature. Yes. So uh, the negative thoughts that are learned in childhood, I hear this so much with my clients. And unfortunately, this, in my opinion, this is the most pervasive. This is the one that tends to stay with us longer. Um, it becomes more ingrained into who we think we are. And, you know, all families, all families have rules, right? Some, some rules are helpful and help keep keep us safe. But some families have rules that aren't very safe. Some families have rules such as, um, oh, it's not safe to talk about these things with other people, or we have to sweep all of this under the rug. Nothing to see here. Everything's good. You know, um, especially in cases where there's abuse going on, or there's an alcoholic parent, or addiction in the family, um, or emotionally unavailable parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of times in those cases, children are going to receive those messages that their feelings aren't important, what they have to say isn't important, and they, they hold everything inside. And rewriting those negative thoughts is the hardest but most rewarding work that somebody can ever do. And that as a therapist, I can ever help someone navigate because, again, they're usually very deep seated and go back many, many years, depending on how old, you know, how old you are. So what I'm wondering here is that might be the most powerful source for negative thoughts regarding ourselves. Yes. So how do you teach women to reverse, to change those thoughts? 
Well, identifying it is going to be the first step, right? Because unless you realize that that's something that's going on in your head, um, you're not going to know that it needs to be addressed or changed. And I did say this in the book that for these types of thoughts, the thoughts that are the more damaging ones uh, from childhood experiences or from trauma or from abuse or from uh, families with addiction issues, I do not see this book as being something that is a replacement for a therapist, you know, a competent and compassionate therapist who is trained and able to help navigate that process because a lot of feelings will come up, of course, whenever you're talking about such deep rooted and sad and sad things. So the first step is going to be to figure out or help the client figure out what are the thoughts? What is what what are the thoughts here that you were taught? So some of the more common ones that I'll hear, it's not okay to talk about my feelings. Keeping up appearances is more important than being honest. Kind of like that, nothing to see here. Everything's good. We're going to sweep everything under the rug. Or it is not safe to discuss bad things that happen in my family. I must agree with my parents. I am a disappointment. And the one I hear all the time, I have to be the responsible one. That's a big one, right? Because then you start. That's a tough one. <laughs> it is a tough one. It is a bit. And especially for women, because women, to a certain extent, we tend to be caretakers. And whenever we feel like we are responsible for the happiness and well-being of everyone around us, we, at the detriment to ourselves and our own mental health, that's when all those feelings come up, the resentment, the anger, the irritability, the rage, and they don't always, or a lot of times clients can't figure out where it's coming from. And that's what I do. I help them figure out where it's coming from. Does it take really a long time or it can be as quick as a week or one day? It all depends. You know, it depends on what, uh, because sometimes they don't necessarily come to me initially for work on their childhoods. They come to me because they have a six-week-old and they're having postpartum depression, or they have a five-year-old and they're going through a divorce, or, you know, some, a lot of times that's not the main thing that they're, or the main presenting problem that they're coming to me to have. And it just, it comes up though, in so much of my work with women, it's, the self-esteem issues, the self-confidence issues, they they tend to come up. And so so I have some clients who have been with me for over a year and they meet up with me once a month just to kind of check in and make sure everything's going okay. And I have some that only need therapy for three months. It just, it's so individual. It's such a personal journey. And I have some where these really difficult things come up and they they can't face it at that time. And they tell me they need to table it for a little while and they need to focus on taking care of themselves and their families and they're going to come back to it. And I have had clients come back after a period of time to begin that work whenever they were ready. Because we need to be ready. Yeah. To yes. do the work. That's so yes. true. Yes. So most of the time, what do you find to be the catalyst or the main reason they decided to change their own false beliefs and negative beliefs? I think for the majority of my clients, it gets to the point where their feelings and their reactions and their emotions are starting to hinder how they function in their life. 
So either in their relationships with their spouses or their significant others, with their children, with their own parents, at work, they're functioning at work, their inability to relax or to take care of themselves or just sometimes the feelings scare them, especially whenever there's a lot of resentment and irritability and anger. Um, No one likes to feel like they're out of control. It is a courageous decision, isn't it, Leslie? It is. It is so courageous. It is every, I have been absolutely humbled by the opportunity to meet with these women and to be able to try to help and to be alone on their journey because it is so brave of them to to come and speak to a complete stranger about such intimate things is just the ultimate in bravery. Yeah, it is beautiful. Yeah, I found it courageous is. and beautiful. Yeah. Yes, it is. I agree with you. What do you think really happens and or what is the most effective way to address these negative beliefs? Do we replace them? Do we add positive ones? Do we integrate negative and positive beliefs? Or do we try to get rid of the negative beliefs altogether? So for negative beliefs that are causing a decrease in self-confidence and a decrease in self-esteem, I think it's really important for us to recognize them and acknowledge them. I see you, (laughs) I hear you, but I am not gonna let this ruin my life. I'm not gonna let this hold me back from the amazing life I was meant to have. So in that sense, I do think that those negative beliefs need to be flipped around, inside out, upside down, and turned into something that is more true, turned into something that's going to be helpful. Yes. So. The word is turned into. So in a way, it is replacing then. It is replacing in many ways. Yes, it is. While not dismissing certain feelings, because some feelings are negative feelings, but it doesn't mean that they're there because of untrue beliefs. Mm, You know, grief and loss, there are negative feelings there. And you wouldn't necessarily want somebody to try to flip those things around or to flip those ideas and feelings around the thoughts. I'm sorry. Change the thoughts that are leading to it, because especially in grief and loss, and I do a lot of grief work too. So it's there's a fine line, I think, between validating the negative feelings if they're warranted, if they're there for a reason. But if there's negative beliefs about yourself that are holding you back and making yourself feel sad and ashamed and unable to function well, then that's different. Those thoughts definitely need to be addressed and changed. Even the negative thoughts that are there, like you say, they're there for a reason. So we uh understanding first, even that process, uh, it feels like a grieving process, like some sort of death, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. The work is hard. The work is very hard and it can be very uncomfortable and there is loss associated with it, especially if you're starting to recognize that there's some relationships in your life that are not allowing you to make positive changes or that are holding you back or relationships that are giving you some of those negative those negative beliefs about yourself. It might take even extra courage oh, yes. to end some yes. of these relationships, right? Yes, and that's probably a totally separate podcast altogether. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, true. <laughs> Let's not go into it, right? It's true. 
Yes, that's very that's good another point. heavy subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book before I ask you my final questions, Leslie? So I think I want to read the little, a really small section about um, tips for self-compassion, getting back to what we were talking about before, about the need for self-compassion right now, especially right now. And I think a lot of us, even if we're able to have compassion for others, we're not always able to turn that inward towards ourselves and give ourselves the same compassion that we would give to others. So this is just a small, a small uh, paragraph. So I tell my clients all the time, this work is so hard. It's rewarding, of course, especially as you begin to see changes and improvements. But getting to that place takes a great deal of patience and self-compassion. It can be uncomfortable to look at ourselves so intently and to unearth negative beliefs and thoughts, especially when childhood experiences or previous trauma is a factor. Give yourself grace and patience. Say out loud, I am doing the best I can right now. Feel the feelings, whatever they are. Say to yourself, I am feeling scared, sad, nervous, resentful, whatever, right now, and that is okay. Set small goals for yourself. Practice pride. Take breaks. It's okay to put aside this work and focus on something else for a while. Yes. Give yourself grace. I love that. Yes. I love that word I too. Do too. I do too. Mm-hmm. I love that word as well. Yeah. I love the work you do. Everything that you are about, it can be felt like in your book, Thank just you. by reading and looking at the graphics. It's so beautiful. And then the intention, it can be felt. So, you know, yeah, it's beautiful. I'm happy you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. And I'll be reading the rest, <laughs> the other chapters. <laughs> Wonderful. That makes me happy. Yeah. Thank you, Leslie. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I don't think so. I really don't. I don't think so. I would probably spend the remaining moments with my family and on the water. Breathing in all of the fresh air (laughs) and everything that water has, you know, all the healing powers that that water has for us. But no, I don't I don't think so. I love that answer, too. Thank you. A lot of confidence that shows that you're living a life of purpose. I am trying to. Um, The past couple of years have definitely been a journey and um, one that I am grateful for. My last question. What are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Three things that I know for sure. That love is powerful. Our thoughts are powerful. Our thoughts are so powerful. And we are capable of more than we give ourselves credit for. Thank you so much for your presence, your wisdom, everything that you are adding to this relative reality. So thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate that very much. I do have one more question, but this one is a technical one. Okay. (laughs) Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So the best place to find information on me is my website, which is www.lesleytherrellslcsw.com. 
My book, Self-Confidence Strategies for Women, is um, going to be released on July 28th. It is available in most places where books are sold. So Amazon and Barnes & Noble, Books A Million and Target, um, online realtors as as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Leslie. And we'll talk soon. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Leslie Herhold and her work, please visit lesliethherholdlcsw.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.